Good morning. Welcome to the services here at La Prada Church of Christ. If you're visiting with us, thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing to join us this morning in your worship. Our hope is that uh, concluding service, we'll have that opportunity to say hello, introduce ourselves, welcome you to our home, welcome you to this family. This morning's really been a beautiful morning. I don't know if you've taken time to enjoy it. I hope you have. Hope your day's off to a good start. You know, I also hope that what I'm prepared, the comments that I'm prepared will benefit you in some capacity in your walk. Serve as a reminder as to what we do and why we do it. Uh, you know, all too often uh, things stick with us, right? You know, and, and here lately I've had a song that has stuck with me. It's a song that some of you may be familiar with. It's a Christian song that's being played quite a bit. That song is titled, Start Right Here. Sung by Casting Crown. I want to briefly read to you just a few of the lyrics at the beginning of the song uh, that kind of triggered my thoughts that, uh, that I prepared this morning. And it, and it goes, we want our coffee in the lobby. We watch our worship on the screen. We got a rock star preacher who won't wake us from our dreams. We want our blessings in our pockets. We keep our missions overseas. But for the hurting in our cities, would we even cross the street? You see, these words seem to cut deep in regard to a lot of the churches in our community. If you're familiar with many of them, then you understand the similarities, the struggles that they have. However, do we recognize that the problem that we see in others can even affect us right here at our home church, our church family? You know, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Enter ye at the, at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Again, Matthew 7, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. You see, these verses tie into the lyrics of this song that I've stated above. And this morning, my text is going to come from Acts, the 8th chapter. If you want to join me in the reading there this morning, feel free. We are going to be covering Acts, the 8th chapter, specifically the verses 4 through 24. And here we're going to read a story about a man named Simon. But before we start our text, I think it'd be necessary to kind of cover what's taken place before, what's happened in the previous chapters to get us where we are in chapter 8. You know, in Acts chapter 1, again, Jesus says, he's speaking to his apostles, he says, it is not for you to know the times nor the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost is upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You know, when Jesus is speaking to his apostles, at the time the apostles are not aware of the fact that the church is going to endure persecution. They're surely not familiar with the fact that the persecution is going to go as far as, as it does. 
They don't realize that it's going to lead to the disbursement of people all throughout the land. Now, chapter 7, in the final few verses, we read about Stephen. Now, who is Stephen? If you look back in the chapter, you'll find that Stephen is one of seven men that were chosen. Many say that were, were chosen to be the first deacons. Stephen has been accused of blasphemy. Now, keep in mind the church is in Jerusalem. Stephen is called before the council, and they've accused him of blasphemy. Stephen goes boldly into the council. He addresses the accusation that's been cast against him, and in addition to that, proclaims God's word. He goes a step further in illustrating and showing them how generation after generation they have failed, and yet they too are failing. Matter of fact, his words cut to the, to the bone. Acts chapter 7, verse 54 says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. And then a few verses later in this chapter, it concludes with them choosing to stone Stephen. You'd say the first Christian martyr. They stone him for telling the truth. You know, isn't it interesting how people, even today, when they're caught up in a belief, when they're caught up in a, in a habit, and it's brought to their attention, something that they've adopted along the way and just accepted to be so when it's brought to their attention, oftentimes it triggers almost an inherent response of, of anger, irritation. It even goes a step further in this case. It triggers violence. Because they don't like what they're told. You know, from this point... The persecution of the church really ramps up. It's here that Saul and his men begin their effort to literally exterminate the church from the earth. This forces many people to leave. They head for the hills. They move out. They're going in every direction for safety. And where they go, the gospel goes. And they're spreading the church. Chapter 8, we read of Philip. Philip goes to Samaria. Just as we were told, Jesus spoke of in chapter 1 of the book of Acts. Philip goes there. Philip also was, one, was chosen as a deacon with Stephen. He goes there, starts proclaiming God's word, proclaiming the gospel. Now keep in mind, he's speaking to the Samaritans. Now these folks have been long cast out by the Jews. They're not familiar with God. They're not familiar with God's Word. And because of this, they aren't familiar with anything that Philip is teaching. You know, if we pick up in Acts chapter 8, verses 5 says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ unto them, and the people with one accord gave heed unto these, those things which Philip spake. Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did, for unclean spirits, crying with loud voices, came out of many that were, uh, that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed. And there was great joy in that city. You see, Philip, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, is demonstrating great miracles on the people, for the people. Verse 8 tells us that the presence 
of Philip and his teachings brings about great joy amongst the city. Well, consider where these folks were. They were feeling down and out. They were wanderers without direction. They were looking for hope, looking for love. And what is Philip doing? He's sharing the good news about the kingdom of God, about Jesus Christ. He's casting out these demons. He's healing the sick. And he's doing all this with the power of God and God's love for his people, including them. What he's providing them is love and hope. The two things that they've longed for. Much like us today. If you look at folks today, you notice that, that there seems to be a desire. A desire to fill a void. A desire to make their lives whole. The Samaritans were no different. Let's pick back up with verses 9-11. through 11. And it reads, But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery, and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom he all, they all gave heed, from least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. So what do we get here? So, so what we see here is that for quite some time, and we really don't know how long that is, but it's before Philip ever came on the scene in Samaria, there was a man named Simon, oftentimes referred to him as Simon the Sorcerer. Simon had influenced many. Make no mistake, this was not someone that simply had a, a sleight-of-hand trick that he performed amongst a few. No. He wasn't doing this to provide entertainment. Simon had positioned himself basically as the leader of his own little cult. His own little following. It was through his magic that he demonstrated to the people that he was to have this great power. Now, we're not given a number, but we can infer that he had many followers in Samaria. Verses 10 shares with us that the people said Simon had the great power of God. You see, he presented himself this way. And make no doubt about it, he was doing it and probably making a lot of money. He was doing this as a livelihood. Kind of reminds me of perhaps the first televangelist. You know, he was the predecessor to Benny Hinn and Robert Tilton. He was out there preaching it. He was convincing them that he had the power, that he had the connection, and they needed to follow him. And because they had nothing else, they believed. Because the way he presented himself was amazing to those. He was literally giving false hope to the hopeless. And they were latching on to it because they had no other option. He demonstrated this power over the people. Make no mistake, he was probably a very charismatic speaker. He naturally had some leadership abilities to do this. But his intent was solely to deceive them and to the fact that he had the power of God that he was the chosen one. 
Everything he presented was boastful, self-centered. To bring about this belief in him, he was the focal point of all that he did. And this caused the folks to put their faith in him rather than putting their faith in God. We see Simon faces a little problem now because now Philip's on the scene. Philip comes in and he's preaching about Jesus Christ. He's performing miracles that Simon can't perform. Simon recognizes the difference. He sees that many were witnessing these great things, and not only were they witnessing it, but they were believing in Christ and they were being baptized. Let's pick back up at verses 12 and 13. It says, But when they believed, Philip preached in the things concerning the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. He followed him. And wandered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. You see, Simon himself was amazed. He recognized these differences. He knew he couldn't do it. He saw the, the power of the Holy Spirit working through Philip. You see, Simon knew that for years he'd been tricking these folks. He had fooled them. He'd played on their, their lack of knowledge and understanding. He knew that he had proclaimed to be the great one, but yet here it is, Philip is showing that Simon falls short in many ways. He recognizes that Philip is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and not taking credit for any of it. You see, after his baptism, Simon chooses to follow Philip. Follows him around. Tells him. Watching, learning. He's interested. But it also tells us that he was truly in awe of the miracles that were being performed. But make no mistake, as they traveled around, he witnessed doors being opened, opportunities to influence taking place from the message that was being shared. At this point, Simon is a changed man. He's walking a new life. As this chapter continues, we read that the apostles, which are still in Jerusalem, the apostles hear about all these conversions taking place in Samaria, and after they, they hear this, they dispatch. They dispatch Peter and John to go to Samaria, strictly to lay hands on the people so that they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, 18 through 22, and it reads, And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands that the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money? Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps... 
the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Wow, took a pretty strong turn. But quickly, before we address that, I want to point out this dilemma that some people get held up on. It's the Holy Spirit being received with the placing of hands on, by Peter and John. He's placing his hands on folks that have been baptized. Don't misunderstand Acts 2 and verse 38 reads that when Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You see, in Scripture, when hands were laid upon someone, one of three things was taking place. It could either be healing, which we read about in Luke 4, where Jesus heals by laying his hands on those that are sick. It could be ordaining. Paul and Barnabas are examples of that when they're taking on the responsibility of the church. They can also be receiving gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is read several times throughout Scripture. But again, you notice it in Acts 19 and 6, where the gift of speaking in tongues to prophesy was given by Paul. You see, in our readings, the apostles laid hands on the people to receive special gifts of the Holy Spirit. At the time of baptism, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit just as you and I do today. They received salvation. But you see, Peter and John, they were giving these individuals that they laid hands on unique gifts of the Holy Spirit. We don't know what that is. Perhaps it was healing. Perhaps it was speaking in tongues. It could be one of many things, but but we do know that those special gifts were being conveyed through the laying on of hands of the apostles. Now, Simon. Put yourself in Simon's shoes. Simon has been following Philip, and now he's got these apostles that, are, that have tagged up with him. He is witnessing these miracles take place on a regular basis. He recognizes the impact that these miracles are having through the placement of these hands. And watching this, it emboldened him enough to show his true intent. His comment illustrates clearly that he is for himself. Simon's pride and his desire for recognition, they're tremendous, right? Those lusts that were clearly present before baptism, Simon is struggling with again. They've taken hold. See, before he believed and was baptized, his whole life had been dedicated to satisfying who? Everything he did was about satisfying himself. It was what he needed. It was what was going to benefit him. It's all that he knew. It's dedicated to making sure that he was building on his reputation con con continuously. It was about Simon. But what Philip was teaching, God's word, it's so different, right? It only exalts Jesus Christ and our God. You see, all other faiths exalt individuals over God. We won't get into that, but if you look into that, there's always an individual. See, Simon's faith was no different. It was not in God. 
Simon's faith was based on his own desires. It was based on him. Consider John 3, 29 and 30. It reads, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. So what is he saying here? He's saying that Jesus must increase, and in doing that, we decrease. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Chief, one of the surest signs of misplaced faith is found in, in those that desire to self-promote. For believers, for, for messengers of God, for you and I, we are always to bring praise and bring glory to our Heavenly Father through our words, through our actions. It's to be about Jesus. Never to be about herself. So if their message and their actions are for self-glorification, then we know their faith is not in God. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses three through six tell us, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. It's always about God. You know, it's clear before Philip's arrival in Samaria, Simon had been preaching himself for a long time. He focuses on making, making sure he, he looks powerful. He wants to make sure that he is deemed to be more capable than anyone else. That's not a mistake. You see, his survival, his livelihood are all tied to his reputation and what people think of him. What a miserable way to live when everything is about what others think of you. You know, Scripture is clear that Simon professed faith. Luke, the writer of Acts, doesn't really tell us whether his faith was sincere or perhaps that it was not. One thing we do have is verse 13. Verse 13 is stated that Simon himself believed also and he was baptized and that he continued with Philip. And then it tells us that he wandered beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. James 2 and 19 tells us that thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. 
the devils also believe and they tremble. There's no mistaking that Simon believes. The question is, did Simon truly have faith in God? Or did he witness these miracles and simply believe? Leading him to believe that he needed to get involved and, and join because he needed to acquire such abilities. He needed to understand it. Now one thing we know is that Peter's remarks were very clear. It was Peter's opinion that Simon had a heart issue. This problem was bigger than the comment. You know, this story of Simon concludes in verses 22 through 24. It says, Repent therefore of thy wickedness and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be, given, be forgiven me. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. This is where the story of Simon the sorcerer ends. We don't know if Simon ever repented. For that fact, we don't know anything about what he did. You know, we look at the story of Simon and it's easy to see that greed most likely played a part in it. You can see that pride was a major issue in, in Simon's life, something he was dealing with. But really, he struggled He struggled with the fact that everything was always about him. It was always about what he could get out of it. It was about how he was going to benefit. He was looking for what he would get from God. The role had reversed. It was about God serving Simon rather than Simon serving our Lord. You know, often we, we read stories like this, and I think it's real easy to separate ourselves from such appalling actions such as Simon, right? No one here is going to be the next Simon. It's easy to scoff at the idea that we would ever be caught up in a position of following a televangelist. I mean, you know, that, that's true. We've, we've each been taught. Many of us have been baptized. We understand. So that's not really, you know, that's, that's not really something that, that we're going to have trouble with because we know how to worship. We know what God says. But consider for a moment. Right now, this morning, our Christian brothers and sisters... They're meeting in the presence of paid pastors. They've had Sunday school. Many times these paid pastors have be developed a, a rapport with the congregation. Matter of fact, I know many of them, several of you probably know some. Where that church is really their church, the elders answer to the pastor. Where did that thought come from? History books outside the Bible show that man created that position. 
We created the idea of a paid pastor. We created the idea of Sunday school. You know, the idea originally was that we needed somebody that was really knowledgeable, somebody that was really charismatic, somebody that could really speak to you and edify you and you felt connected with. But don't you think God knew that? When did man decide that we knew better than God as to how to worship God? Consider for a moment this morning our Christian brothers and sisters that have enjoyed a service with a live band behind me. I'm not going to lie to you. I like it. I've visited a few churches that have some awesome bands. You talk about feeling the emotion, getting into the service. I get there. But you know, there's not even one occurrence in the New Testament of instruments ever being used to worship God. It's not there. So someone decided that the instrument sounded better and it really built, built up the service, really allowed them to connect to what was taking place. Someone decided that their idea of worshiping God was better than God's idea of worshiping God. How can this be? You notice the similarities between Simon and these brothers and sisters. It, it's that they're looking to worship God, but they're wanting to worship God their way. They're looking for what they can get out of the service. They want to feel good. They want to be edified by this charismatic speaker that that ties in and, and has just got the bubbly personality, conveys his thoughts eloquently. They're looking for that concert that they can sing along to. They're looking to worship God the way they want, which is not the way God instructed us to worship But you know what? Let's tie this a little closer this morning. Now consider those that are possibly amongst us here this morning. Those that come every Sunday. They join us in service. Pray that's not you. Pray that doesn't exist here today. But they're not really involved in the service. They don't really take part in the singing. They're not really listening what's going on. Basically, they know that God's instructed His people to be here on Sunday morning. They check the box. They're in attendance. Maybe they come because, you know what? God tells us to do it, but really, I love seeing my, my friends. I love socializing. I love the social aspects of it. Gets me out. I'm around good people. Who knows? Maybe they show up because, you know what? We got dinner on the ground. That's a good Sunday to come. There's always good food. There's plenty of it. Possibly they're literally looking for opportunities to advance themselves. Looking for opportunities to check off something that they deem to be a goal or a desire. 
You see, these folks are no different than Simon either. Brothers and sisters, if we fail to worship God the way He has instructed us to do it, then we have chosen to worship Him our way. Just as Simon chose to be baptized, striving to advance himself. You see, when we choose to worship Him in a way that deviates from the examples that we've been given, we are the one that decided that our way was better than God's. We have decided that we're changing it because we want something out of it. At that point, we're serving ourselves, aren't we? You know, the Old Testament gives us many examples to reflect on. And time and time again, our loving Savior displays tremendous patience, tremendous love for His people. Patience that is really kind of amazing. If you read the stories, you just wonder, how in the world does He let this stuff go on? However, let's consider for a moment one of the examples found in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. It says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord, and it devoured them, and they died before the Lord. In case you're not familiar with that story, what's taking place here is that Aaron is their father. Aaron has been instructed, and might I point out in Scripture, he was instructed one time how he is to go about starting this fire. Now his sons have gotten older, and he's passed that on to his children. You can rest assured that Aaron told them what God expected. The boys knew. Yet his sons, Nadab and Abihu, they decided that God's way didn't matter. They made an assumption kind of like we do today with our services, didn't they? They said, you know, fire's fire. We're giving God fire. How we get this fire doesn't really matter. Well, my suspicion is that those two boys, Adab and Abiah, they recognized that it mattered when that fire burnt them alive. There was no doubt in their mind that changing the way they start the fire mattered to God. They paid for it with their life. You see, Scripture shows us that one thing in which God is very quick to take action against and has zero tolerance is how we worship Him. So this morning, my hope is that I brought forward some fruit that will be beneficial in your walk or when you talk to others, recognizing that how we worship our Lord and Savior is truly of the utmost importance. We're called to worship on Sunday mornings, making sure that we're engaged in the worship because God expects that of us. 
It's not something to be taken lightly. And although it's easy to recognize these issues that are in someone else's life, like Simon, that same issue can manifest itself in our lives and do so without us ever even realizing it. Now the good news is, the problem, it can be corrected pretty easily, but the, 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 the hard part is recognizing whenever we're falling short. Recognizing when we're falling into the habit of just going. Or we're falling into the habit of looking forward to socializing or whatever the case may be, rather than worshiping God. You see, sometimes we disassociate ourselves from that issue, and that's when it becomes a problem. See, God's way is clear, and I pray that we always strive to worship Him as we've been told. We're blessed to have a church here where the elders have saw to it that this church worships God the way the Scripture instructs God's worship to be conducted. I pray that this church will always stand for that, and I pray that you and I and future generations will continue to advocate for the Scripture for that which is right. Because there's only one way to worship God. Now this morning, if you feel that you've been sufficiently taught, that you want to become a part of the kingdom of God, then the water is ready. Don't put it off. Take the time today to make that right. But additionally, I would ask, if we have a brother or sister amongst us that's hurting, that needs the services of this church family in any way, we stand here to serve you. We love you. We'd kindly ask for either one to come forward as we stand and sing the song selected.